Thanks, worship team. We, uh, we are always thankful for uh, the ability to be together and, and to worship. And, uh, and whether together is you're, you're with us online or you're here with us in person, uh, we love being with you. And we love being able to do this thing. And there is something uh, unique about Christian community, about Christian family. Uh, there's something uh, different uh, you can find clubs everywhere. You can find affinity groups. You can find people who are together because they love to bike or they love classic cars or they love kids or they love not having kids. You can find groups of people everywhere. Why is, why is that the last one that you laugh at? I don't understand. Uh, but, but there's something unique about what it is for a group of people to gather in the name of Jesus. And, and even a step further, because, you know, there are some churches that define themselves by maybe the style that they worship in or the time that they worship or who tends to be there. But to find a group of people who are identified less maybe by a style or by a skin color or an economic demographic or even a zip code or different pieces and say, we're here because of Jesus, and when you stop and think about that, when you actually realize what you're doing, some of you thought, we're going to go to church today because it's Sunday. And, and you don't necessarily process this higher, this higher plane, this spiritual uh, journey that you're actually participating in is this thing that Jesus has asked us to do, that the Holy Spirit has enabled us to do. And so this concept of church is really unique. And so that's what we're looking at today, but I'm going to get ahead of myself because there are a couple things I wanted to mention that really sort of represent our desire to help you feel like you are part of a church family, that you don't just go to church, but you actually can be part of the church. You actually are literally the church. So, so uh, three things that, that I, wanted to, I wanted to mention. Uh, the first is uh, Alan Rennie is one of our elders here, and uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, his wife, uh, Sherry, passed away uh, about a week ago. And so we did a service for him uh, yesterday and his family. And Alan asked me to tell you thank you. Because so many of you have brought meals. So many of you have sent cards. So many of you were here yesterday. Uh, you may not realize it. They also, Alan lost his sister, Shar a little over a month ago. And so the family has gone through a number of difficult things. And, and what Alan uh, said to me was that he has been so blessed by so many of you here at Hope. There are people who drove up from New Jersey uh, yesterday because they were friends with Alan's sister, Shar, and out of love for her, they wanted to support her brother as he was going through this. And so Alan wanted me to thank you for that because that's one of those things, you know, it's easy for us to emphasize the things that are entry points into family. What Alan wanted to express gratitude for, I would say, is towards the other end of the spectrum, with, which is the, the results of being in a family. And, and Alan is thankful for that. The family is thankful for that. Kaylee and Christian, they're thankful for that. So thank you for the things that you've done. Maybe on the front end of some other things, uh, there's, a, there's a men's pig roast on October 16th. Talk about switching gears and changing directions. Uh, there's, there's a men's pig roast October 16th. Is that the right date? October 16th. So Chris stands there. He's going to get up next week, and he's going to do a much better job promoting it. But if you want to help 
guys, there's going to be a little gathering of some guys after the service to talk about ways you can help. You might want to come and just eat. You might want to come and just enjoy yourself, or you might want to serve. So if you want to serve, there's going to be some guys who gather. And there's no uh, prerequisite of how long have you been at Hope. Are you an older man or a younger man? There's no prerequisite of any of that. We want to help you as guys because we realize sometimes for guys, you need something in your hands in order to justify the things that you're doing. So we want to put meat products or we want to put food products in your hands so you feel less uncomfortable. We want to create a space for you as men to do that. So that's an invitation, and, and, and they'll be around after the service. Um, and then that worship night, Friday uh, the 1st at 7 o'clock, I think is what I have, um, that's an opportunity for us to sort of opt in. Sunday morning, you have to, right? Because if you don't go to church Sunday morning, you're guilty. You feel terrible, okay? It's Sunday morning. Some of you don't. Some of you are like, I don't feel any obligation whatsoever. I'm going to pray for you, okay? Uh, Friday, October 1st, though, that is, that is a opt-in sort of a thing. That's where you get to say, Friday night, we want to come worship. We want to be together as a body. I'm not going to talk for as long as I'm going to talk today, so you get to enjoy that. That'll be nice. Um, so Friday the 1st, uh, come on out and join us, join us for worship, okay? So, so those are ways that we want to help you find family. There's going to be some, some uh, food out after the service. Why? Because we want to feed you? Because we want to bribe you? No, because we feel like if we can create space, these, these, these cluster moments that you are more likely to spend some time together to talk together. And that's just important. Because there's a lot of people who have been uh, underwater and suffocating for the last 18, 19, 20 months. You need to come up for air. You need people. You need connections. And so that's why we do some of the things that we're trying to do. Uh, which, by the way, if you ever want to help, we would love your help. Just, just let us know. And, um, and that would be great. Okay, so, so we're in a Holy Spirit series. The Holy Spirit at work in you. Uh, we've, we've been going through these last few weeks. And if you remember week one, uh, we talked about renewal. One of the ways that the Holy Spirit wants to work in you is for the purpose of renewal. And so we wrestled with this question of what is the source of your life? Are you relying on a short-term fix, duct tape we talked about? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to really renew you and give you a sustainable life? Because the Holy Spirit wants to work in you, and that's a big aspect of it. Last week, we talked about transformation, that the Holy Spirit wants to transform you. Do you have built into your expectations of what it is to be a follower of Christ that transformation is, is built in? Or do you view that as sort of a, if I have to? And what we looked at is how with the Holy Spirit at work within you, transformation is not optional. Transformation is if you have to. Transformational is this thing that the Holy Spirit wants to change you, wants to change me, to look more like Jesus. And so as we lean into this thing called Christianity, this relationship with Jesus, transformation has to be built in. Otherwise, a year from now, you'll look exactly the same as you do now. And when it comes to your walk with the Lord, that's not what you want. This is not one of those things that if I can go a year without changing, if I can go two years without changing, I'm a winner. It's not what it is. The Holy Spirit wants to work within you to grow your grace, to grow your mercy, to grow your ability to forgive quicker, to love more, to serve more. That's what this transformation is geared towards, to ultimately look more like Jesus. So today, what are we talking about? We're talking about unity. We're talking about unity. The Spirit at work in you wants to produce unity. Unity. So oftentimes, that's kind of an interesting word, it's often misunderstood 
as everyone is the same. That when we talk about unity, and particularly unity in the church, unity among followers of Christ, a lot of times we think unity means everyone is the same. It's agreement on everything. We're all on the same page. And so one of the drawbacks of that is oftentimes you find that churches can seem very homogenous. Everybody looks the same, everybody dresses the same, everybody votes the same, everybody acts the same, everyone laughs at the same joke, everyone is offended and upset about the same things. We think unity is the expectation that everyone is the same. And what we're going to find is that when we look at the Holy Spirit, when we look at this understanding, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2 to sort of see the early church and what did unity look like for them. What we'll find is that unity looks much more like a family. And, and I hesitate to say that because I don't know what your family of origin was like. I don't know what your current family is like today. Your current family might be incredibly dysfunctional, which actually might help you have a perspective of church because you know that your family is really dysfunctional and so you get into a church and a dysfunctional church doesn't surprise you. Others of you, you have this family that, that he, here's why I pick that sort of as a metaphor, is because when we think of family, is a family sort of celebrated when everyone is the same? Not necessarily. What we find is that, is that there's a lot of similarity, but then as the family gets a little older, we introduce into the equation a thing called teenagers, middle school. And oftentimes what we find is that uh, kids reach a certain age where they no longer take pride in being the same as their parents. They no longer take pride in being identified the same as their siblings. Oftentimes what ends up happening is that you find that you want to uh, value some differences. One of the key parenting things that often parents will either excel in, or this is when the wheels come off the bus, is that parents want conformity among their kids. And what ends up happening is that when you push conformity, your kids have two choices. I will conform or I will rebel. That creates a lot of tension in families at times. What makes a difference? Is it possible that you can have variation and difference and diversity and still be a family? Is it possible that for a family that might look different or act different or have a lot of diversity within the family, diversity of thoughts, diversity of opinions, is that family capable of sitting down for a meal together? Is that family capable of loving each other genuinely, of serving each other wholeheartedly, or does their, does their unity come only through this homogenous sameness? You could answer the question based on what you've seen, based on what you've experienced, maybe based on what you think. And so uh, I'm not going to ask you to answer the question. I just want you to maybe acknowledge sort of preconceived ideas. Where do we get the answer? The answer comes from Scripture. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 because the Holy Spirit is going to paint for us a picture of what unity among the body of Christ should look like. And all I'm trying to say is that the answer, not to spoil it for you, is not being homogenous. It's not being one color. It actually, what gives God the most glory, what enables the Spirit to do what really only the Spirit can do, is out of diversity to draw in unity. And so often as Christians, we miss that. And not even as Christians, maybe you're not even a Christian, maybe you're just curious, that, that you think that unity is found in sameness. 
And just a little bit as an aside, one of the things that our culture has really wrestled with is that if someone doesn't agree what we, with what we think, if someone doesn't reinforce the value we have, it's like our minds blow up. We have lost the ability to understand what it is to have a relationship with someone that might disagree with us. And thank goodness for social media, because that just makes it better, right? This idea that, that you can cancel or you can unfriend or unfollow or mute or do all these different things, because we've allowed ourselves to enter into relationships based on agreement. Now, to be fair, among Christ followers, among Christians, does there have to be agreement? Of course there has to be agreement. But how far does that agreement have to extend in order for us to still be family? There's some key things that I would argue need to be in place. But, but culturally, we, you and I, we don't live in a culture that affirms this value of is it possible to have a relationship, a friendness, a friendship, a connection with someone who might think a little differently because if you think differently, I'm going to blow you up, I'm going to run away, or I'm going to attack you. And does that ever bleed over into the church? Does it ever bleed over into relationships in the church? What is the direction of the flow? Is there something happening among this body of believers that flows out into culture, out into your relationships, or maybe is it the other way, that what happens out in your relationships, out in culture, maybe that bleeds in and flows into your understanding of Christian community? What's the direction? Maybe that the current in your life is moving. And that's why we need to look at, well, what does God say? How does God lay out this idea of what unity is supposed to look like? So we're going to start with Acts chapter 2. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Uh, what we find uh, in Acts is uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really emphasize uh, the, the work, the ministry of Jesus. So when we start in the New Testament, the New Testament is really the beginning with, with Jesus and his ministry. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, are really focused in drilling in on the life and teachings of Jesus, okay? Acts is this transition period where Jesus in Acts chapter 1, he speaks to those who are following him. He's, he's, resur he's resurrected, come out of the grave, he's, he's alive. Acts chapter 1 is him speaking to those who are following him. And then Jesus goes up into heaven and he says, I want you to wait for my spirit, because when my spirit comes, it's going to get good. He says, the things that you've seen me do, you'll see even more when my spirit comes. So here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to run off half-cocked. I don't want you to run off and try to do all this yourself. I want you to wait for my spirit to come. Because when my spirit comes, everything's going to be different. And what we'll see in Acts chapter 2 is that while the Spirit brought with it an individual transformation, what the Spirit really did was knit together, draw together, pull together all of the individuals that had been changed by an encounter with Christ, changed by a filling of the Spirit. They were changed in a way that drew them together. So that Acts chapter 2 is not about the individual crusades of an individual. It's about people who were filled with the Spirit and something changed. Something happened. Something big. And so for some of us, if you've been in the organized church for a really long time, but you've never seen anything big happen, this is what we're called to. If you've been a Christian for a really long time, but you've never wandered into the adventure and you feel like Christianity is boring because you just kneel and stand and kneel and stand and say some prayers and then you're done. The Christianity, the, the relationship with the Lord of Acts chapter 2, there's nothing boring about it. It's the way it's supposed to be. 
So Acts chapter 2, let's start with verse 1. Start with verse 1. Okay, uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, it's a holiday that they were celebrating, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Early followers of Christ, they're gathered together in one place. And I'm, and I'm not going to read uh, all of the passages that kind of go with this, but I'll, I'll summarize it for you. The believers are gathered in a place for a specific holiday, and as they were gathered together, as it says here, uh, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they all were filled with the Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them language. Sounds like your small group, right? Sounds like a party that you were at. Something strange, it fills the whole house and, and what appears to be like tongues of fire settles above each one of them and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What comes after that is a crowd gathers outside of the house because there's this big holiday. All these people are gathered in Jerusalem. They're all coming into this place. So the, the, the city is packed with people inside this house and it's not like a house you know, in, in our area here where like, there's no neighbors that are going to hear anything, okay? These were houses that were really tightly packed and really close together. And so the fact that it sounds like wind is blowing through and that all these guys start to speak in other tongues and the, the, the term, the word here for tongues, it refers to other languages. And we know that because as people gathered around this house to see what was happening, what we know is that people from other nations, people from other areas that had descended on this place, they heard the gospel being preached in a language they could understand. That's, that's the part I'm not reading for you just for the sake of time, and we'll read more in a second. But that's, that's what happens, that there are people who hear the gospel preached, proclaimed, spoken in a language that they understand, and it causes this great confusion among the people to say, aren't these simple, uneducated individuals, and how is it possible that they're speaking in a language that I understand? How is it possible? So what we see is that the Spirit, one of the first things that He does is He unifies the believers by giving them a new language. He unifies the believers with their words. There's an interesting thing, and I won't go back, but have you heard about the Tower of Babel? The Tower of Babel is something that was in the Old Testament, and in essence what it was is that uh, humanity in its earliest days, they were building this tower, and it was getting taller and taller, and uh, as they built it taller and taller, they started to feel really good about themselves. Like, we can reach heaven. We can get to God. It was, this, it was the people had united behind this project that, that caused them to feel like, you know what, God's not so big because look what we can do. And there's something that happens where, uh, when you read the story, that, that God uh, confuses them and he introduces different languages, so we see that at the Tower of Babel, one of the things that God did was God introduced a variety of languages to bring a certain level of confusion because, because in the absence of the Spirit at work in their lives, uh, their unity wasn't being used for good. 
And so what we see here in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit is reversing that. The Holy Spirit is reversing the Tower of Babel. The Holy Spirit is reversing this, this diversity of languages and instead allowing the Spirit to say, I'm going to give you one tongue. And what's interesting is that it didn't do away with all the languages that the people from all the other countries spoke. It didn't get rid of the other languages. It just produced one language that sort of transcended all the other languages so that the gospel translated. The gospel moved through. And so as I realize, as I, as I read that and think about it, you know, there's a point that kind of comes to mind that, that I want you to think about. When the Holy Spirit is at work in you, when the Holy Spirit desires to produce unity among us, I think one key aspect is the Holy Spirit wants to move us past tribalism. I think what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit at work in those individuals sort of moves past tribalism, moves past this idea of I'm identified by this, uh, this country, this identity, this skin color, this thing that identified me. All of a sudden, the Spirit introduces a greater identifier. The Spirit introduces a greater unifier. The Spirit introduces something that allowed those first century followers of Christ to identify by something larger than the tribe that they were a part of. And as we think about ourselves today, when we think about unity in the Spirit today, how much of your identity is influenced by the tribe that you're a part of? How much of your identity is influenced, it's driven, it's directed, it's sustained, it's supported by the tribe that you're a part in? One of the things you can't help but notice is that in today, one of our greatest obstacles, I think, is tribalism. I think tribalism is one of the greatest struggles that we deal with, who we identify with, who we support, who we cheer for. I think we've done a pretty good job of identifying, uh, you know, it used to be that for churches, one of the greatest tribes would be a sports team. And, and you know, we've gotten pretty, we've come far. We, we love different fans. We love Yankees fans and Mets fans, if there are any that exist today. We, we enjoy Giants fans or even an occasional Dallas fan who might walk into our midst, quiet in the back, please. Um, <clears throat> we, we've gotten to a point where we would never say to anyone, this isn't a place for you because of your sports team. I mean, at least at least a half-decent church wouldn't do that. But can I tell you what I've seen? I've seen churches divided over whether they voted for Trump or Biden. I've seen churches divided over whether it's a masked church or a not-masked church. I've seen churches divided over whether it's a white church or a black church or a brown church. I see all churches divided over all sorts of things. Because we operate six days a week in this tribalistic approach, this tribalistic mentality that says, you know what, which tribe are you a part of? And we have certain tests, we have certain tells, we have certain things that are symptomatic of the tribe that you're a part of. And what happens when that starts to bleed in to our understanding of what Christian community should look like? That's what happens. And yet I'm drawn back to Acts chapter 2 where this new language that the Holy Spirit offers doesn't diminish or get rid of the languages that the people had first. It doesn't diminish or, or get rid of the, the country of origin or the background. It just offers something higher. It offers something unifying. It offers something together. And I think that's my point as I think through for us as, as Christ followers today is that the Holy Spirit at work in us calls us to a language beyond our natural or preferred language. 
language. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. The Holy Spirit desires to call you and I to a language beyond your natural or beyond your preferred language. Are you speaking that language? Are you asking God's Spirit to move within you to help you be more fluent in His language, or are you doubling down, tripling down, reinforcing maybe the language that comes natural to you? Is there a learning curve? Of course there is. But that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does within us, is teaches us a new language, just like He did in Acts chapter 2. Second, a second thing that we see, we're going to jump ahead to verse 22. Verse 22. One of the things that we see is that the Holy Spirit empowers the believers to make much of Jesus. That's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. Let's see what that looks like in uh, verse 22. This is Peter. Peter stands up. So a crowd is gathered. All of these people have come because the party, there's, there's a party house. There's something going on in this house. They're, they're breaking the noise ordinance. There's something weird. There's something strange. There's an aroma coming out of the house. There's lights going on in the house. Something's happening. And so a crowd gathers, and they say, are you all drunk? What is happening? This, this is what they said. They, th they thought they were drunk. And Peter's like, it's the middle of the day. We're not drunk. The Spirit is doing something. The Spirit is moving. So then Peter, he stands up. He gives this explanation. Verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So Peter appeals to their understanding of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, there's something interesting here, and as a, as a Christian, it's good for you to know this. There are people who say, oh, Jesus didn't exist. Jesus wasn't real. Now, what you see here is that Peter is appealing to a well-known individual called Jesus of Nazareth. J Jesus is, uh, Peter's making a claim to a crowd of people. He's not trying to convince them that Jesus was real. He's appealing to them on who, they, who they've already heard of. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, this guy who you yourselves attested as having mighty works from God, wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. You yourselves know this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's, he's candy coating it, isn't he? This Jesus that you all know did great things. You crucified him. You killed him. This was before they would give away free TVs if you'd come to these Jesus, you know, revival type things. There's no prizes Peter's giving away. Peter's being very honest with them. He says, this Jesus that you all knew, that you all loved the things that he did, and then you crucified him. You killed him. Verse 24, but God, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not contain him. Verse 33, jump ahead. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This thing that you are seeing, this thing that you are hearing is because God has poured out his Spirit. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What is Peter's recipe? 
He wants them to see Jesus. Peter doesn't enter into all these uh, profound arguments. I mean, he does, uh, some parts I skipped, he does draw in some Old Testament prophecy. Peter does reference some things because he's trying to speak to the Jewish people. But ultimately, what does Peter want them to, to see, want them to understand? He wants them to see Jesus. He's not convincing them of their inner truth. He's not calling them to experience the best life that they possibly could. He's not saying, do this and God will give you a raise or God will give you a new car. He's not saying this will make you a better person, a better individual. He just wants them to see Jesus. He's tapping into their desire to understand that God is for them, that they made a really bad choice when they crucified Jesus. But even in their bad choices, it was part of God's plan. And now they stand with an opportunity to decide at that moment in that time, what will you do with Jesus? So the Holy Spirit's being poured out. The Holy Spirit is providing a new language, a new tongue, something that sort of transcends their own natural language. The other thing that he's doing is he's calling his followers to make much of Jesus. If you're going to talk about something, talk about Jesus. If you're going to engage with something, engage with Jesus. If you're going to think about something, think about your life in relationship to Jesus. There's somebody who came to the, to the service yesterday, and he said, what kind of church is this? And I thought, man, that's a, that's a good question, but I really don't know how to answer that question. And so I paused. I paused for a second. And as a good pastor, I, you'd think I'd be better at this. Um, and, and he says, and he's like, well, are you, are you conservative? Are you progressive? Are you traditional, evangelical, or Protestant? He, he like goes through this list. And I don't know what to say because I'm thinking like, is, is one good? Is one bad? Is one positive? Is one negative? And, and, and man, what I wish I said, and I don't think I gave a great answer, I, I'll confess this to you, but what I wish I had said is that we're a church that wants to make much of Jesus. I gave some answer. I think it was fine. But this would have been better. It would have been better. We're a church that wants to make much of Jesus because truthfully, not every church wants to make much of Jesus. Why? Because as individuals, we don't always want to make much of Jesus. Churches are individuals. Churches are, churches are inherently spiritual. We are kingdom-moving, kingdom-facing, kingdom-oriented. But what is a church? It's us. Do we make much of Jesus? Well, we make much of the Republicans. We make much of the Democrats. We make much of this or that or these other different things. Do we make much of Jesus? That's what, that's what Peter's describing. He's saying when the Holy Spirit is at work within you, you will make much of Jesus. That's what you'll do. And we need to be reminded of that because it's so easy for us to latch onto all of these other things that don't necessarily unite us. But Jesus does. Again, remembering that Peter's talking to an incredibly diverse group of people who are in town for a special celebration from all sorts of different countries. It's like the United Nations, but better, depending on what you think of the United Nations. There's this arrival, there's this gathering of people from all over the place. And Peter makes much of Jesus. One fundamental function of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus to us. He's the one who opens our eyes, who searches our hearts, reveals our need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit's desire is that you allow him to do this in your life and through your life. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. 
is to reveal in you and through you who Jesus is. Uh, third, I have to go faster. I apologize. Uh, read Acts. Uh, so look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts and draws people to Jesus. It's one thing to make much of Jesus. It's another thing to convict and draw people to Jesus. Look at what happens in verse 37. After Peter goes on this thing and he says, this Jesus that you all loved, that you knew of, that you said was from God, and then you crucified him. He doesn't pull any punches. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? See, they had a problem. They, they, they were acknowledging that Jesus was sent by God. They were acknowledging that they were a party to him being crucified. And now they're just laid bare. And they say, what do we do? What do we do? There's a conviction that's taking place because they were, they were deeply aware of their brokenness. And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will have access to this thing that we have just experienced. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added to that day. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. The Spirit at work within you calls you to action that moves you towards Jesus. If the Spirit is at work within you, the Spirit calls you to action. The Spirit says, don't stay where you are. Take another step. That step might be to realize, I am far off from the Lord. I'm far off from God. What do I do? You move towards him. And Peter, Peter lays that out. He says, repent and be baptized. What are the things that you need to do to move closer to Jesus? Well, I should do this, and I should do that, and I should do better about this, and I should do this other thing. Peter says, repent. Repent and be baptized. Repentance is turning. Baptism, going down into the water and coming out so that you're identified as a new creation. That's what Peter says. Are there other things that you can do to sort of, you know, add in to what does it look like to be transformed into the image of Jesus? Sure. Mow your neighbor's lawn. Buy the, buy the dinner for the table next to yours. There's all sorts of things that you can do. But please don't skip over the basic fundamental building blocks of have you repented? Have you turned from who you were to move towards who Jesus is? Because that's what the Spirit calls us to do. Have you been baptized? Have you identified yourself as being a follower of Jesus because you've gone into the water and you've come out? That's what Peter says. He says, every one of you, repent, be baptized so that you can experience forgiveness, so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And about 3,000 people signed up that day because that's what the Spirit wants you to do. The Spirit wants you to respond. A lot of times we think that God is happy if we just watch. I'm just a watcher. I'm just sort of taking it in. The Holy Spirit says, respond. Don't sit on the sideline. Don't wait and see. Jump in. Take a step. Make a move. Do something. That's what Peter is calling them to do, and that's what the function of the Spirit is. Okay, last one. Let me just, let me just move real quick. Um, 
the last thing is that the Holy Spirit unites the believers in genuine community. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just bring about conviction, everybody feels guilty. Thank you, Peter. I'm going to go home and feel terrible about myself. Okay? That's not what happens. Okay? And we know that because Peter's message of repentance is even ultimately optimistic. He says that this gift is for you, it's for your children, it's for everybody who's far off. There's an inherently optimistic aspect to this invitation, which is why 3,000 people join in. And then this beautiful description of community follows because they don't become this joyless, serious-faced, somber, really unhappy group of people. That's not what they do. Their community explodes in a richness and a depth that we see in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. What happens next? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who were believed were together. Say together. That was terrible. That is not active listening, people. And all, who were, and all who believed were together. Thank you. Had all things in common. Don't say anything else. They were, they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together. Breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The first heavy onboarding of followers of Jesus came through a very convicting message. As a pastor, I celebrate that. I think, man, I would love to be like Peter. I would love to, to have, have that sort of reaction when I preach. It's celebration of the spoken word. But where did the real addition and joy and fulfillment come from? It came from the believers being gathered together in genuine community because people wanted to be a part of it. It is great when you can find a dynamic message that draws a bunch of people in, but it is nothing compared to the day-to-day -day gathering of followers of Jesus in community that looks dramatically different than the rest of the world. That was the draw for the early church because the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Their, their food products didn't add to their number. The nice houses didn't add to the number. The, the, the creative ways, the donuts that we're going to have outside didn't add to their number. The Lord added to their number day by day, but their community looked a certain way that was inherently attractive. Because the Spirit was at work in the individuals, and what He was doing individually overflowed into their community, and He created a unity through the Spirit that no one else could understand. And God moved. God was seen. When the Holy Spirit is really working in the center of your life, it always flows towards the believers around you. And I say that because I, I love reaching people who don't know Jesus. I love reaching people who haven't experienced him yet, but this passage is drawing attention to the way that believers act toward believers. They sold their possessions. They gave it to each other. They came around each other. They listened to teaching together. They had meals together. They had play dates together. They encouraged one another. There was something profound about the way believers interacted with believers. And it made non-believers 
say, I want that too. Why do you think Jesus says they'll know that you're my followers by the way you love one another? That's unity. Unity is not everyone looks the same. Unity is not everyone votes the same. Everyone believes all these other details the same. That is not unity. And if you have thought that, you need to get that out of your mind. Unity is this, which is a diversity of followers, a diversity of believers come together and they say, the thing that unites us is Jesus. And because of Jesus at work in me through his spirit, I love the body and I love people. Acts makes this incredibly clear. And then the last thing I'm going to say as I wrap up is from Hebrews chapter 12. And this is sort of my, this is my application for you. So this, I'm really done, I swear. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here's what I'm going to say. This idea of being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, being surrounded by a group that helps you see Jesus. Who is, who is the crowd that you're in today? Who are the people that you're with today. See, there's something that Hebrews is trying to get us to see. Peter's trying to have us understand. Who, who is the group that helps you see Jesus? Who is the group that is that for you, the people? That might be two people. It might be 12 people. Who is the group that's offering you insight and wisdom to understand Jesus more? Who are you listening to? Who are you giving permission for God to speak to you through? Where are the relationships that are encouraging you forward, that are helping you shed your baggage, shed your weight, run this race that you run, because together's better? Hebrews is describing this great cloud of witnesses that are part of us running and shedding and pursuing and engaging. And we read that and we think that the crowd's over there and I'm running this race by myself, but that's not what this is designed to be. Who is your together? What does that look like? Where is your spirit-filled family? What does that look like for you? Where does that come from? I can't, I can't tell you what you should do. I can just sort of lay some options out in front of you. One of the things that I would encourage you to do, if you're not in a group, you should get in a group. If you're having a hard time getting in a group, start a group. My wife and I talk all the time that, that our first group experiences were uh, when we had uh, young kids and it was hard for us to, to go to somebody's house and so we just invited people to our house. And we said, come to our house. We gotta put our kids to bed because we didn't wanna be a couple who excluded ourselves from real Christ-centered community for 10 years and say, well, you know, we just can't do it. So we said, come on over. We'll put our kids to bed. And Carly would disappear because I'm a terrible dad and she would disappear and put the kids to bed. And, and then we just did group because that was important to us. So, so if you're not in a group, we, we can help you get in a group, but you also have the option when you're having donuts, look for someone who looks guilty. They have guilt on their face. They have disappointment on their face and say, you look like you're not in a group because you're, you're convicted. Do you want to join a group? You could do that. 
here's one thing that I, that I also want to do. Um, uh, so there's a book. There's a book that I read uh, this past spring, and, and I was confessing to Steve Erickson that I'm terrible at finishing books. I, I start books, but I, I don't always finish them. And so this book I've almost, I've almost finished. Um, and it's called Gentle and Lowly uh, by a guy named Dane Ortland, and it's The Heart for Christ, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And, and it's, it's an amazing book. Uh, it's an amazing book because um, it, it reveals how Jesus really feels about sinners, and it's not what you think. It reveals this idea of what does it really mean to say that Jesus finds joy in your salvation. Truly does. And it, and it, re, it removes this, this shroud of guilt every time you have to go before God. It's really a beautiful, it's a beautiful book. So um, we have a bunch of them out on a table in the lobby. They're all free. And I realize the risk of me telling you it's free is you're just going to grab it and you're going to use it as a doorstop. You're going to use it as a coaster. So... So please don't do that. But here's what I would love for you to do. Grab the book and go through the book with someone else. When you grab a book, just who do you want to go through the book with? Maybe you want to go through it in your small group. Maybe you want to start a group and use that. There's a devotional thing that goes along with it. I don't have that. Sorry. I just have the book. Grab the book. Use the book as the backbone, as a roadmap for a group or to talk through it with some people. It's a great, great book. But it's out there because I want to help you. I want to help you get into community, get into a group. So the books are free. Um, I was going to say you can only take a book if you promise to go through it in a group. And I realized no one might take books. So, so um, but please take a book, read through it, and think about who you can process that through with um, because we would love to help you do that. And take advantage of the pig roast that's coming up. Be here. Linger after church. What does it look like? We just want to help. You feel like you're in a place where you have a family because your relationships with others matter in terms of having Jesus in the center. And sometimes maybe the first step you take is uh, letting go of the things that you thought had to define your friendships and your relationships. It might be a little more grace, a little more forgiveness, or looking for someone who's different than you because it's in those relationships that you find the Spirit of God is most at work because you're reminded that were it not for God's Spirit in you, this unity, these relationships, they're not possible. But because of Him, because of His work in you, you find relationships are possible because of what He's doing within you. Let me pray and then we'll worship one more time. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be a part of your family. God, we realize that, that COVID and politics and race and all sorts of things, just our natural tendencies have made relationships and community hard for a lot of people. God, even this idea of what does it look like to be in community when we feel separated, we feel distant. And so God, I ask that you would uh, allow us maybe to hear or see for the first time, what does it really mean to be in community, to be unified through your spirit? And God, I also pray that for those of us that have been sort of sitting on the sides wanting community to come to us, that God, you would enable us through, through this idea to allow you to move us towards community. Instead of saying, it has to come to me, it has to come to me, it has to come to me. God, enable us through your spirit to take a step, to initiate, to create, to form, to do something that you want us to do. God, we're not asking you to do something that you don't want to do. We're asking for something in line with what you've called us to, which gives us great confidence in asking. 
And so God, for those that have been struggling, Lord, for those who've been feeling alone, God, I pray that you would enable them to take a step towards opening up in a relationship that will make all the difference in the world. And God, when people look at Hope Church, that maybe we would be identified less by some symptoms on the outside, but we would be identified most by a church that clings to you. And so Jesus, we thank you. In your name we pray.